Luke chapter 19, verse 41. We're going to talk in the Bible. The message tonight is on visitation. We're going to talk about three different visitations that took place in the Bible. Now, when we think of visitations, we think of somebody getting up in this early in the morning and going visiting you at the hospital or going and knocking on your door. But there's spiritual visitation as well, where Christ wants to come and visit with us on an individual basis. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In Luke, the 19th chapter, we're going to start in verse 41. It says, When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children with thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy... And say it again. Visitation. Visitation. Now, this is a prophecy that Christ is laying out to the children of Israel, to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel, that will be fulfilled 40 years after his death. Titus will come in, and they will lay siege to the city for three years. And on that fourth year, they will tear down the walls to Jerusalem. They came in. They laid siege to it. They destroyed the temple. Over 600,000 Jews were executed in that siege. So the prophecy was fulfilled 40 years later. But what I want to focus on is why did Christ prophesy this? In, in point number one, missing your visitation leads to destruction. In verse 44, it says, you knew not the time of your visitation. What does that mean in layman's terms and our terms today? It means Jesus Christ came and walked among them. He was on this earth. He was the Messiah in the flesh. He had laid upside a portion of his deity to become son of God, son of man. And now he is walking the earth. But the Jews rejected him as the Messiah. They did not accept him as their Lord and Savior. They did not accept him as King of kings and Lord of lords. They didn't accept him as the Messiah at all. They held fast to the law that had been taught since the days of Moses. And because of that, they missed their visitation. They missed their time of recognition. They missed their time of walking hand in hand and talking with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They missed their visitation of the Messiah. And because of that, destruction was going to come to the nation of Israel. And that destruction has continued on throughout time and it will end at the end of the seven year tribulation when Christ comes back himself to the earth and steps down on the, uh, his feet on the Mount of Olives during the battle of Armageddon and then he becomes king of king and lord of lords over all the earth but at this time this destruction that took 40 years later was because they missed their visitation with him when he was on the earth church there are too many people in the church today that come to Christ they get saved and then they no longer want to seek or visit with him they no longer want to talk with God. They no longer want that, vis that visitation of the Holy Spirit poured out in their lives, and because of that, destruction is soon to follow. He even said in his word, there will be many to say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? Did I not know you? And he's going to say, depart from me, for I knew you not. Why? Because you missed the time of his visitation. Our walk with Christ is so much more than coming up to the altar, kneeling, accepting him into our heart, and then getting up and walking out. That's not where it stops at the altar when you leave. That's when it starts. That personal relationship. I remember when I first met my wife, and well, not when I first met her, but when I first decided, you know what, man, I'm gonna, I want to go out with her. I remember, I, was, I remember when I made the decision, I was sitting in a truck with my dad and my two brothers or a car, we were driving down the road, and he was trying to convince my two brothers, man, you ought to go out with that girl, she's a nice young lady. She's smart, she's intelligent, she's pretty, she's never even gone out on them with anybody before. She's waiting to meet that guy that she's going to marry. And I remember sitting in the back seat saying, these guys are stupid, man, I ain't going to let that walk by. 
And so I remember walking in the church and, and seeing her that day and said, you know what, I want, I'm going to marry that girl. I decided. Now, she got up to sing a special in church that Sunday morning, and the tape was all messed up, and it sounded terrible. And I remember sitting back there thinking to myself, oh, maybe I'm not going to marry that girl. But the thing was, I began to go over every Sunday morning and shake her hand and tell her how pretty she looked. Just a small, subtle little things to try to attract her eye to me because it was going to take small, subtle things to attract her to me, in my opinion. But every day I went over there was a visitation. Every time I saw her in the hall when I shook her hand or I said hi to her was a visitation. It started out small, but the visitations got larger and larger and longer and longer in conversation till we're at the point we're at today. What are you trying to say, Brother Cowan, is this. They missed their visitation. When you get up from this altar after you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's when your visitations with the Father need to begin. Because once you begin to honor and build that relationship up with Him on a daily basis, then guess who starts reaching out. As I said two weeks in a row here, the scripture says, draw nigh unto me and I shall draw nigh unto you. He wants us to draw nigh unto him first. And when we begin to draw nigh and visit with the Father through our prayer life, through, da through our daily Bible reading, when we begin to do that, then guess what he begins to do? He starts drawing nigh unto us and the visitation is no longer one-sided, but now it's two-sided. Now he comes to us as well. How many in here today visit with the Father on a daily basis? How many here today have that visitation with the Father? Or are you no different than the nation of Israel? Are you sitting there lacking a visitation? And because of it, it's going to lead to your ultimate destruction. That is how the church is today. If you turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 27. Well, how do you know he wants to visit with us? Joel 2.28 tells us that in the last days he said, I will do what? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. His pouring out of his spirit is him visiting you, with you. Well, I got the Holy Spirit in me because I'm saved. Why, it, not, do I still need a visitation? Okay, if he says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, you have the Holy Spirit in you, yes, but there is an outpouring out there that he wants to do in every single life to broaden and enhance your, your walk with Christ. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 16. Now, I want, to do a little, I want to do a little bit of background history on this first. When you look in Exodus, the 25th chapter, and leave that up because I'm going to go to that scripture, Brother TJ. When you look in Exodus, the 25th chapter, God instructs Moses to build the tabernacle, and he gives him the instructions for building the tabernacle, all the way down to, to the linens that were going to be in there, the candle holders, to the very last detail. Moses builds the tabernacle. Now, the the difference between the tabernacle and the temple is this. The tabernacle was mobile. The temple was going to be permanent. So 500 years later now, God instructs Solomon to build the temple. And Solomon comes in and builds the temple. And then the temple gets destroyed. And then 515 years after that, Cyrus rebuilds the temple. Comes back and King Cyrus rebuilds the temple through Zechariah, one of the prophets, and through Nathan. And that's, remember when I preached the message on grace, grace. That was when the temple was being rebuilt. For the third, that was the second time the temple was being rebuilt. So you went tabernacle, temple, temple, and then that temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, as I said, because Israel missed the visitation of God. So are you with me where I'm at right now? Missed the visitation of Christ. So are you with me where I'm at right now? So the temple has been destroyed. Now why was that temple destroyed? Because we no longer need that temple. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 3.16, what, what does Paul tell us? He says, now you are the temple of God. There is no need for a physical temple. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit resides in us. What was the purpose of the tabernacle? What was the purpose of the temple? To house God's presence and glory. Can you say amen? amen. 
What's the purpose of the temple? To house God's presence and glory. That's important for you to know that because now, since you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, once you get saved, what are you supposed to be housing? The Holy Spirit, which is God's presence and glory. Are you with me? Everybody just shake your head like that real quick so I know. All right, so that's the purpose of that temple being destroyed anyway. Now the Jews have been locked and focused on rebuilding the temple ever since its destruction at that time. They've, they've saved up stuff. They've been doing stuff. They're moving around. And the temple's going to get rebuilt again during the seven-year tribulation. Okay? But they still don't get it. They're still missing their time of the visitation because that temple is nothing but walls and materials. It's not going to matter. We are the temple of God. And if we're not housing God's presence, and if we're not housing God's glory, then we're missing the visitation. So now we find ourselves here in Jeremiah, chapter 27, verse 16. And we find Israel has been invaded twice by Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And during this invasion, several things have happened. There will be a total of three invasions that Nebuchadnezzar is going to do as he rose up in, in power in Babylon. And I hope I'm not throwing too much information at you, but that's all right. That's why we have a podcast, which is doing incredible, by the way. That's another story. So he invades, and as he invades, each time he invades, he begins to tear down the temple and take the pieces of it with him back to Babylon, along with captives along the way. Some of those famous captives that were taken back to Babylon were Daniel, Ezekiel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is how they ended up in Nebuchadnezzar's court. They were taken captive along with thousands of Israelites at that time. So each time he invaded, they came and they took the brazen altars. They took the pillars. They took the candlesticks. Each time he was slowly taking all the pieces back to Babylon of the temple that he had just destroyed. So that's where we're at right now in verse 16 of chapter 27. And I know that was a long little history lesson to give you right there, but that's all right. Now it gives you a background to the temple, to the tabernacle, and where we're at with this visitation. That was a mouthful. <laughs> Verse 16, Also I spake to the priests and to all this people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hearken not to the words of your prophets that prophesy unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. So here we have Jeremiah. The nation has been destroyed, and, and the, the pieces of the temple, the vessels, and, and, the, and the pillars, and the brazen altars have been hauled off, and the false prophets are now standing up saying, don't worry about it, man. Shortly, they're coming back. And God sends Jeremiah onto the scene, and he says, hey, hold on a minute, man. I don't care what all these people are saying. They're not coming back. It's not going to be a short period of time. God has spoken to me. You notice he said, thus saith the Lord. Whenever you stand up and you say, thus saith the Lord, you better make sure you're right because you're speaking on behalf of God. And he stands up and says, thus saith the Lord. They're not coming back shortly as these guys have prophesied. They're going away and they're going away for a long time. And why are they going back? Because the nation of Israel had been so stuck in, in, in worshiping idols and apostasy and doing their own things. And God was so tired of them turning his back that he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in here and take this stuff from them. Everything was going now, if you look in verse 22, let's go to verse, verse 21. Yea, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon. This is Jeremiah speaking. And there shall they be until the day I visit them. 
That's the second visitation, saith the Lord. Then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. They shall go to Babylon, the rest of the vessels, church. Now, I'm going to give you a typology of those vessels. Those vessels are represented in the temple. Why, why is the temple no longer needed today? What did I say a few minutes ago? Why isn't the temple needed? Because we're the temple of the, Holy, of the Holy Ghost. We're the temple of God. We are where God's presence and his glory resides. Okay, these vessels, these brazen altars, all that stuff was used. What was their purpose in the temple? Their purposes in the temple was to worship God. They were there for worship. They were there for sacrifice. They were there to glorify God. So all these vessels are now being taken to Babylon. So if they're being taken out of the temple and they're, and they're going to Babylon, what are they not being used for? They're not being used for worship. They're not being used to glorify God. They've been taken away. They've been taken out of their place. And that's where the church sits today. We have many people sitting in pews in churches in the house of God and their vessels that are there to glorify Him and their vessels that are there to worship Him. But they're no different than these pieces and these people that were in the nation of Israel at that time. They've been taken captive by the enemy. They've been lied to by false gods and false spirits. And because of that, they are vessels that are no longer being used to worship God. They are no longer being used to, to, to offer themselves up that living sacrifice. They're no longer accepting the living sacrifice. They're sitting there. They've been cast away. They've been drawn away. And they're in a place of de desolation in their own mind. They're in a state of apostasy. And they're not being used for their purpose. Just like the vessels in Babylon, that's where the church is at today. And God's saying, I'm looking for my vessels that will allow my visitation that I might be able to come and restore them back to their rightful place. That they might be able to worship and glorify me as I intended. That is what their purpose on this earth is for. That is why I created them. And then once I come in and they become my temple, now those people, those individuals should rise up and glorify me and honor me and praise me so that my presence should be seen in my likeness through them throughout all mankind. But if we don't ever accept that visitation by God, we're no different from the vessels that were taken off into Babylon. What takes us captive, church? What takes the vessels in the house of God today captive? It's the things of this world. It's the love of this world. As he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it's for that same reason that he turned his back on Christ. God turned his back on Christ for what? When Christ was on the cross. He turned his back for what? For the love of the world. Because if he would have kept looking, he would have got his son off the cross. But it was for the love of the world that he did it. But for that same love of the world, many that come to Christ today, that kneel down at the altar and they give their heart over to him, they too are turning their back on the cross of Calvary the same way that God did on that day. But they're turning it for the love of the world and they're running and they're embracing that love. And God's saying, you are my vessel. I've poured my spirit into you. You are not captive to the things of this world. You are not captive to anger. You are not captive to anxiety. You are not captive to fear. The addictions that may present itself, adultery, fornication, alcohol, tobacco, you are not captive to those things. You were my vessel, and I am here to restore you. Amen. When you look at verse 22, and that's the second point in this, Visitation leads to restoration. He says, They shall be carried to Babylon, and there shall they be until the day that I visit them. 
He didn't say, there shall they be until Pastor Cowan visits them. He didn't say, there shall they be until the Pope visits them. He didn't say, there shall you be until Elijah and Enoch come back and visit you. No, he said, there shall they be until who? I. Say it again. I. Say it one more time just so I know you got it. I, until I visit them. There was nothing that Jeremiah could have done. There was nothing that Nebuchadnezzar could have done. There was nothing that any person that walked on this earth could have done at that moment to give them restoration until God came back, as he said, and he visited them. And then once he visited them, what did he say he would do? He said, saith the Lord, then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. And what is this place? The temple. What is the temple? God's presence and glory. So God's saying they've been carried captive by the things of this world. They're no longer being used for their intended purpose. But I've got a visitation that I'm going to bring to the nation of Israel. And when I visit them, when I come, it shall be rebuilt. And who was it rebuilt under? It was rebuilt under King Cyrus. But what he's saying, not King Cyrus. I'm sorry about that. That was the same temple. It was under King Cyrus. That's right. It was King Cyrus. That temple was rebuilt by King Cyrus, okay? God visited them. Remember in the message, Grace, Grace, that I preached, the temple started to get rebuilt, and then it was flat. Nothing happened for, for 20 years. Nothing took place, and then God sent the prophet Nathan, and the prophet Nathan comes and says, Thus saith the Lord, now it is time to restore. Go out with the headstone, place it down with the cry of Grace, Grace, and the temple was raised. Okay, that's the same thing that happened when Christ died on the cross. Now he came and now he's here for restoration for our lives, for your lives. And then there his grace, under the grace and mercy of him in the cross, now restoration comes to these broken down vessels and now our life is restored. And as he says here in Jeremiah, he says, once I visit them, then I shall restore them to this place. I shall restore them to what? God's glory, God's presence, God's mercy in our lives. Come on, you got to say amen more. God's grace, presence, mercy in our lives. Amen. I guess this means change. I guess this means I might have to start doing something a little different if I want to be restored. Now, you ain't got to be restored. I mean, serious, you don't have to be restored. You can go to hell. John chapter 6. Well, thanks for putting the damper on that message. Hey, man, if that put a damper on the message for you, then you, got, you need to be restored. Ain't that right, Brother Gene? John chapter 6. <laughs> John chapter 6, the third thing that happens when God visits us, the miraculous happens. In John chapter 6, verse 16, And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship. And went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Verse 20, it says, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Why were they afraid at that moment? They were afraid because they seen Jesus walking on the water. They seen the presence of God in Christ Jesus walking on the water, and they were afraid because of why? Because of man 
fears the supernatural taking place in their life. Why does man fear the supernatural taking place in their life? Because it cannot be explained by science or anything else. If science can't explain it, my textbook can't explain it, I don't want nothing to do with it. And that's pretty much how the world operates today, unless you're a born-again Christian and you know that God works in the miraculous. God worked in the, you, you have to believe that God works in the miraculous. Why is that? Well, I don't have to believe. Yeah, you do. Are you saved? That's the greatest miracle that's ever going to take place in your life. You just went, when you got saved, you went from mortality to immortality. You now have everlasting life. The blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit entered into your life and cleansed you from all unrighteousness that was in there. That's the greatest miracle that's ever going to take place. So if you don't believe in the miraculous, you can't believe that took place in your life, which means you're not saved. So now, how many believe in the miraculous? Oh, there we go. So the miraculous was taking place, and, the, and, and they're sitting in the boat, and they're looking at it, and they were afraid. So what does Jesus say? It is I. Be not afraid. There's going to come in a time in your life when the visitation is going to take place as you draw closer to God, and you become, become that child of God that he has called you to be, and you begin to draw closer to him when things are going to begin to take place in your life that you can't explain, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. Just know, because he's there, and he's going to say, it's I, be not afraid. They, walked, they watched a man walking across the water come to their boat. I would have been freaking out. I'm just going to be honest with you. And then I'm going to say, you're going to have to float into this thing because I know how easily a canoe roll, turns over. <laughs> I know that, don't I, Brother Jason? I still think that was an act of God. I got it out of the way within the first 30 seconds. I lost my little, my little step counter and everything. So now I don't worry about that anymore. I mean, that was just an act of God. A divine appointment for me and Jason that day. No one wanted to see Jesus walking on the water at that point because they couldn't explain what was taking place. Now look at verse 21. That's why they were afraid. But verse 21 says, They willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land whither they went. Now, when you go back from where he left to where he comes to, Bible history tells us that when Christ got into the boat, when Christ got into the boat, they were four miles from shore. Based off the distance that they went, right before Christ got into this boat, he had just fed thousands of people. Then he comes down out of the mountain. The disciples had already gotten the boat and started to head across to the other side, okay? And they went 20 to 25, I believe it says, or it says the distance there. I believe it was 20 to 25 furlongs they had rowed. They had rowed 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs. They had rowed, and a storm came up. It was so great that they were trying to row against the storm, and they could go no further. Well, history tells you that they were four miles from land when that took place. Four miles from land. So Jesus comes walking on the water, and they're afraid. He's like, hey, man, chill out. Be not afraid. It's just I, your Lord and Savior. And then what did they do? It says they willingly let him in the boat. They willingly. Now, why would men that was just on the shore with Christ... Just a few short hours ago, first of all, be afraid when they seen him, number one. And number two, have to willingly let him in the boat. For them to willingly let him in the boat meant there had to be been a debate going on at some time whether or not they were going to let him in the boat. Oh, how quickly 
had they fallen? How quickly had they forgotten the face of Christ? The one that they've been walking with, the one that they've been talking with. Here he comes walking across the water. They've seen him heal dead. They've seen him open blind eyes. They've seen him give, give, give legs to those that the, the lame walk, the lame run, the sick healed. They're watching all this take place. But as soon as he begins walking across the water, they no longer think it's him because that's in the supernatural and there ain't no way anybody can walk across the water. Here he comes to visit them. Here comes that third visitation where the miraculous has taken place and they were afraid because they didn't think it was him. Who did they think it was? Who did they think it was in this world that was walking across the water that they would be afraid and, and, and he would have to say, hey man, don't be afraid. It is just I. And they willingly let him into the boat. Church, who did they think it was at that time? Who do you think it is at that time when you begin to feel it inside of you? You begin to feel a move of God taking place in your life. You begin to feel that visitation that God is pouring into you, yet you're afraid, yet you're worried. You don't recognize him. You don't even know who it is at that point. God's saying, I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. I change not. I am still he. I am still on the throne. Turn not away my visitation, but receive it, and you shall see the miraculous take place in your life. Amen. So what happened when they willingly, I mean, come on, let's get serious. They willingly received him. Who's going to sit there and push Jesus out of the boat and say no? As Christ is climbing in the boat, hey, man, get out. You just walk on water. Get out. They didn't willingly want to receive him. Who was it? Thomas? But it happens in churches and Christians' lives all the time today. Come on now. It happens in Christians' lives and churches all the time today. Why? Because to willingly receive Christ at that moment meant commitment, meant change in their life, and meant receiving him for who he is at that moment. No longer the son of the carpenter, no longer someone they saw as their equal, but now they had to recognize him for who he was, the son of God. The Son of God, as they willingly let him in the boat. And what does the scripture say happened as soon as he got into the boat? And immediately the ship was at land where they went. That's four miles distance, folks. They didn't row that fast. Jesus stepped foot into that boat, and immediately they were at land. Oh, church, what miracle is God wanting to do in your life today? Immediately, he's got it for you. He's got something for every person in here, but you're not willingly accepting him into your life. You're not willingly allowing him to come in and do that work in your life because you're afraid. You're afraid of the commitment you might have to make. You're afraid of the change it might make in your life. You're afraid because you're not used to being in that realm with Christ. And he's saying to you today, draw nigh unto me, and I'll draw nigh unto you. All that they had back then, he says in his word, that we have in our lives, and then some, and then more, immediately. Immediately, they were at land. What does God have for you? Immediately, once you submit to him. But why don't we submit to him? Because there's too many Christians in the church today that are no different than Thomas. They're no different than the Pharisees. Because they've seen, they believe. But God says, blessed is those that believeth and have not seen. Blessed is those that believeth and have not seen. Oh, ye of little faith, he said to Thomas. Oh, ye of little faith, church today. Oh, ye of little faith, United States of America. Oh, ye of little faith to the entire world. Because you haven't seen, because you haven't seen with the flesh what I can do in the spirit, you have rejected me. You are fearful of me. You are afraid of me walking across the water in your life. But oh, yo, oh to those, oh to those that willingly receive them into their church, into their house, 
house of worship into their lives. It is them that he has a miraculous restoration that will take place in your life and you shall feel, you shall see his presence because it is no longer designed for the temples of this world. It is no longer designed for Moses' tabernacle, but it is designed to reside within you and I this day. I love it when God moves in my life. I have seen God move in my life. I have seen God move in this sanctuary. Last Sunday night, God moved in this sanctuary. There's a man that hasn't worn his hearing aid since he left this place last Sunday night. God restored his hearing. Why? Because he had a visitation from God, and instead of shunning him, instead of running him off, instead of being afraid of it, he received it, and when he received it, he received from God. You can't explain everything that happens in the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we, that we may do all the words of this law. See, church, there are secret things that belong to the Lord our God, and he tells us that here in Deuteronomy. Those things, some will be revealed to us on earth as he sees to as we draw close to him, as he operates through our lives. It is those things, church, when he visits us, when we have that holy visitation with him, that he begins to reveal, not just on earth, but through the scripture as well. But to those that don't ever want that visitation, to those that are content with going through this life, never getting close to him, never drawing nigh unto him, it is those that shall never ever know some of the secret things of God. But those secret things as well that aren't revealed to us, even those that draw nigh unto God, there are secret things that we will never know until we stand in his glory, stand before him in heaven. We have loved ones, church. Let me tell you this. If you, you might have a loved one, and I, I've got a few loved ones in my life that I thought were just as, as dumb as a box of rocks. But they were smart enough to get saved in their life. And let me tell you something. That person on this earth that I thought was as dumb as a box of rocks is standing before the Father. No, and he knows the secret things that I don't know here on earth. Because those secret things that he doesn't reveal to us here on earth, we shall know when we get to heaven. Have you ever asked yourself a question? Well, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do that? I know we all have. That will be revealed to you when you're in his glory. And some of those things he wants to reveal to us while we're here on earth. But we've got to allow that visitation of the Holy Spirit into our life. But because people call it the Holy Spirit or they call it the Holy Ghost, whatever you want to say, it's the same thing. Because of, I think because it's got that word holy on the front of it. Or when Holy Ghost was real popular, say, back in the 70s. Because of that terminology, everybody's afraid and they run for it and they think it's spooky and they think it's weird. But let me tell you something. You're born again. Christian is living within you. Let me say that again. If you're a born-again Christian, he's living within you. Amen. All right, now, now I'm going to freak you out a little bit. You realize that when you get saved, it's the Holy Spirit that comes into your heart and not Jesus, right? Oh, I don't know about that. That's not what Grandpa Joe told me. Where's Jesus at? He's at the right hand of the Father. When Stephen was being stoned, he looked up and Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the Father. In Philippians, it tells us he's sitting in the right hand of the Father. 
What comes into you when you get saved? The Holy Spirit. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. The three are one. But each one is also an individual person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit that is living within you right now. Amen. Jesus is your advocate to the throne. Why? Why do you pray through Jesus' name? Because he's sitting next to God on the right hand side of the Father. And he goes to him on our behalf. But yet the church up and down the globe is terrified. Well, I don't want a visitation from the Holy Spirit. If that happens, it'll freak me out. Hey, man, he's living within you. He's just trying to get out and have a relationship with the believer. That's all he wants is a relationship. The same thing that God wants, the same thing that Jesus wants. Now, I talked to you about three, three, three visitations today. The first one was by Christ that was rejected by the nation of Israel. And because of it, it led to their destruction. The second visitation I talked about was in Jeremiah. When everything was taken captive, and that visitation was going to lead to their what? Their restoration, wasn't it? Their restoration and being brought back to the place. What place was that? The presence of God. And then the third visitation was the miraculous, when Jesus visited them on the boat. Which visitation are you sitting at today? Have you rejected him from the beginning the way the nation of Israel has? Have you been that vessel of God? Has he used you? Have you worshipped him? Have you praised him? But you've allowed it to go sour. And because of that, he needs to take you back to a place of restoration. Or have you been living your life violently for Christ? Have you been shaking the nations for Jesus? And now you're saying, God, I'm ready for that visitation so I can start seeing the miraculous take place in my life. Matter of fact, God, I need a miracle today. I need something to take place in my life that I know that only you can do. Which one of those three visitations are you sitting at today, church? Let's all stand.